This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where we've just about recovered from what was a very, very late deadline day for Everton, uh, and out to the signing at one in the morning, which, to be honest, I didn't personally appreciate. But <laughs> uh, I'm sure, sure would have been a, a nice little bit of late night excitement for everybody who'd stayed up in time, but. We're back, we're energised, we're refuelled, and we've got a lot to talk about on the podcast today. I'm your host, Adam Jones, today joined by a dynamic duo of Sam Carroll and Dave Prentice. We'll go over Everton's uh, deadline day business, you know, the one incoming and the numerous outgoings. We'll have to briefly go over what was a very disappointing result at the weekend against Newcastle United. And we will talk about a game against Leeds United uh, tomorrow, as as we've recorded. And hopefully that will see Everton bouncing back. But Preno, as mentioned, we'll dive straight into Everton's deadline day business. It was quite a busy day in terms of incomings and outgoings. Uh, how did you assess it all in the end? Um, the incoming I was, let's not get overboard, quite pleased with. Um, I've always thought Josh King was uh, was decent. He's um, a player who's got a bit of pace, got a bit of energy about him. Gold return has been okay in the past, I think. But the bottom line is, it's an option now that the manager clearly wants to use in the uh, the attacking you know third of the pitch. Whereas clearly, you know, so some of the players that he's allowed to leave and he was trying to get off the club's books are players that he doesn't want to use. Um, Cheng Tosin, you know, so being one of the cases in point, he obviously sees a player that in Josh King, brings a bit more to um, the system and the formation which he's trying to set up uh, and can contribute so that, you know, say for argument's sake, we get into a situation like we were against Newcastle uh, where you're trailing with a quarter of an hour left, you turn around and look at your bench and you see like no attacking options there. He's got something that you can maybe introduce and change things a little bit. So I was quite pleased with that. Um, the outgoings initially I have to say, I was a little surprised by the Anthony Gordon one, even though it had been rumoured. But again, he's a player that the manager clearly doesn't think is quite ready yet uh, for regular uh, first-team exposure. So in that respect, it makes perfect sense to allow him to go to a, a decent championship club and hopefully build on that experience there and get lots of uh, exposure, lots of game time. Benny Beningamy, I mean, again, likewise, you know, he's not even been featuring on the bench recently, so it makes sense you know, to send him out elsewhere. Uh, Jared Branthwaite had already gone that we know about. Uh, I missed anybody else. There was so few, so many like sort of dished out on the day. Ellison's is already gone. Yeah, Jonas Lossel uh, left. Oh, yeah, sorry. How can I forget Jonas Lossel? A <laughs> 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 man, man who's never even played for the club. So yeah, clearly we're not going to you know sort of lose anything there. So you know, I've seen you know some eyebrows raised on social media. People suggesting that a club that already lacks a bit of depth in its squad has depleted that even more now by letting so many players leave. But I don't really think that's the case. If you look at the players who've been allowed to leave, they weren't really featuring that much. So we've still got the same level of quality in depth, arguably added to it a fraction with Josh King replacing Cheng Tosin. So, yeah, all in all, it was an OK January transfer window, a bit more activity than we were expecting, to be perfectly honest. And um, it just puts us in a slightly better position than we were previously. Bottom line is, though, that Ancelotti always wanted to leave it until the summer to bring in the significant faces uh, that he thinks will improve the squad. And he's done that because of the financial fair play structures that we've gone over so many times before. So all in all, it was OK. You know, so I wasn't too you know, so disappointed by the end of it. Mm. 
what do you make of it, Sam? You know, in terms of like a quality and depth position, as Preno says there, do you think that Everton have found themselves in a better place at the end of January as they went into the month? Probably not sure. I think around what we're saying, to be honest, I, I do think it shows, um, and I think everyone, has, I think all of us on this podcast over the last few months have kind of said it does show how clever uh, Carlo is as a manager, doesn't it? That you know, Cenk Tosin must have done about a hundred interviews in Turkey about you know how the manager was like saying how much he wanted them. I can just imagine like Carlo on the phone to him, like, yeah, we want your lad. And he's like <laughs> putting his hand over the receiver, like clapping his head off to, to David. He believes it, he believes it, he reckons we want. And then as soon as the first chance game came to get to get rid of him, we, we done it and we got Josh King. But uh, I think now you're looking at obviously Richarlison, Calvert Lewin, Hammers, and Wobi are almost you, you kind of start and fall where the Hammers is, is pushed further back a little bit now. You've got Josh King, you've got Bernard to come off the bench. So I think King definitely gives us something in that front three. And I'm I'm glad that it's, you know, just that kind of end of the season deal to, to prove himself. I think we've been burned so much in the last couple of seasons. You know, just we're just waiting for people like Walcott and Tosin and Balassi and Schneidlin players who were just offering absolutely nothing. We're just waiting for them to see out the contracts or praying that someone comes in for them, which is difficult, isn't it? So um, as Preno says, you know, a little bit of surprise with Gordon, but Carlo wasn't turning to him, was he? You know, when when we needed goals, he wasn't exactly saying, right, Anthony, 60 minutes in, get your boots on, like get out there and, and get us a goal. He only made three Premier League appearances yeah. so far this season. So he didn't have that trust in him, did he? So, you know, is Josh King going to be the answer to, you know, what we're going to talk about later in the Newcastle game? If we'd have put Josh King on, would we have magically won that game 3-1? No, probably not. You know, it was just an awful game, wasn't it? And and I still don't think um, he'll give us that kind of boost of, you know, what maybe like a major signing would have done. But what I do think is that it gives us something a little bit different. We know that that first choice, three or four, are good enough to get us into Europe this season, or I certainly believe so. Um, and we've got people off the wage bill and we've got the young players, like what Carlo said in his press conference today, the young players who we want to come back and be, you know, first-team stars like Branthwaite and Gordon, they're in the best place for their development. So it's quite an unselfish uh, transfer tactic from Everton, I think, in, in, in the end of the day. And only time will tell. You know, as Preno says, I think everyone is kind of coming to the conclusion it was an OK window. If we go and win our next four or five matches and Josh King scores five goals, it's a brilliant window, isn't it? If we now lose our next five games, people might say, what on earth were we doing? So... It's a it's a risk from from Brandon and Ancelotti. I don't think we can get past that. Um, you know, we did only have eight substitutes on the bench at the end of the day against Newcastle, two keepers, and we've you know still let more players go who were on that bench. So interesting. Um, but Marcel has always wanted to uh, Marcel Brands has always wanted to to cut that squad down since he's came in. He is getting there slowly but surely, and I think that emphasises why we need to to give him that next you know three year deal now to see what the next phase of his um, of his leadership is, I don't think we can we can f- fully judge him on that yet. So yeah, all 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 will be revealed in the next four or five matches. I think. Brano, mm. I saw a few comments on social media last night that you know this Josh King move was a bit of a panic move from Everton. I think it maybe just because you know the links only really transpired on deadline day that those kind of talks happened, and you know Ancelotti admitted that you know he's been looking at 
King in the summer as well. You know, it, it, did it strike you as a panic move in any sort of way, you know, with, with Towson going out late? No, not at all. Um, I, I think the long-term strategy of the hierarchy is to try and basically lose the players who we've inherited or the managers inherited from previous regimes who are a huge drain on the club's wage bill. We've cost like big sums of money. Uh, we've got to move them on. And so, you know, under different circumstances, you know, the manager might have, you know, stuck with Cheng Tosin, stuck with Bernard, Bernard, I don't know, the Bernard deal fell down. Uh, but, you know, so for the long term, um, but he wants to move them on so we can then generate, you know, sort of funds in the wage bill to be able to spend again in the summer. And so in that respect, he's replacing, you know, one big earner. I don't know what Josh King's wages are going to be, uh, but, you know, it's a short term deal initially. Um, it's not cost the club, you know, so any kind of, you know, sizable funds, but it has moved on, you know, so a big wage in the meantime. So it wasn't uh, a panic buy. I think it was strategy. I think it was strategic. It was something that, you know, so part of the long-term plan, if you like, um, which is also, you know, the situation with Bernard. I mean, that fell down in the end, uh, but I think the club were trying to move him on again, again, because he's a big earner, you know, so he earns, you know, so vast sums in the club and he's not somebody that the manager clearly believes is going to take the club forward long-term. Okay, he's not unhappy to, you know, have him back at the club. You know, I think he will use him and he said in today's press conference, he, he will find more minutes for him between now and the end of the season. But I think long-term, they want to lose players like that so he can then bring in players that he, he does really want and he does really believe can take the club forward long term. So, no, I don't accept that it was a panic buy at all. Uh, I just think it was a way of, you know, sort of bringing somebody in that he may use that also fitted in with the club's long term plans and aims. Mm. I think Brennan makes a good point there, Sam, doesn't he, about the financial aspect of this Josh King deal? You know, it was listed as a nominal fee by Everton in their official announcement. It's only a six-month deal up until the end of the season. It kind of reduces the risk from Everton's side of things, doesn't it? It's just win-win, isn't it? I think that that's obvious um, in the deal that if he absolutely stinks stinks the gaff out for, for the next six months, then he goes at the end of the season, doesn't he? And, and if he scores 10, 15 goals, which would be amazing, uh, you'd like to think that the effect of, you know, working with Carlo Ancelotti, training with James Rodriguez and... Um, and Alan every day, and you know these people who probably he's looked up to for years, um, will have a, a, an effect on him and, and say he wants to stay at the club. You know what I mean? If if he does do that well, that maybe other teams would start sniffing. So it, it's only good news for me. I think that um, if we decide him, you know, say on an eighteen-month deal, then you, you might have thought, I, I hope he plays well, you know, because then you could have been left with just another situation like that where you get to summer and you're like. He's not really that good. We don't want him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with our forward options now in the summer. Well, I think it's probably, well, we've said this every summer now for about 10 years, haven't we? But probably going to be the most interesting summer at Everton. You know, see who we bring in, what happens with Moise Keane. We've got loads of talented young lads now. You know, it's not just Branthwaite and Gordon. You've got Thierry Small. You've got Nkunku. You've got Lewis Gibson. You've got Joe Virginia. You know, you, you can go through a fair few of them. What's the plan for them? Um... So now it's just kind of setting up to, I think, the second half of the season now is, is just crucial, isn't it? I think if we can, if we could get Europa League this season, I think it'd be massive. I think we could then maybe kick on, attract that next level of name that Carlo Ancelotti might want and leaves it all in a power position of, you know, do we want to keep King? You know, do we want to give 
you know, lads new deals? Do we want to extend Hammers' deal like like is in his contract? You know, hopefully Luca Dean's contract is done by then. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot to play for in, in these next, you know, twenty odd games of the season. So um, as we've said, Everton have left themselves, you know, with, with a small, lean squad. Um, but as as Phil Kirkbride wrote in his piece today, let's hope it's it's lean and mean. Mm. But I know I was saying to Sam earlier with this Josh King deal, I can't help but draw parallels with the deal to bring Enna Valencia to uh, yeah. to Goodison Park a few years ago. Like I know there was a difference in that one because it was on loan rather than a permanent, but. No, it's still a short-term deal. You know, he's a very versatile forward who brings different qualities. He knows he's going to be playing second fiddle to a main striker if he was going to be playing through the middle. And, of course, Enna Valencia, you know, while he didn't join permanently in the end, he proved to be a pretty useful asset over his time at the club, didn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah. That he, Josh King can have a similar sort of impact. Yeah, he was, he was a qualified success, wasn't he? You know, so we used him. He scored a couple of goals, you know, and he was uh, he, he had an impact off of something a little bit different. I think, yeah, it, it, it's very similar. I would hope it would be even more successful because I just believe that Josh King has a bit more about him as a player. Um, he's a guy that was at 2019 in Manchester United were linked with signing him. I think it was uh, only last year, yeah. Or last year, and he ended yeah. up going for Carlo. Um, so, you know, the guy has some stature uh, and some reputation in the game. I suppose people are looking at his, his recent record and, you know, he's not scored at all in the championship. To be fair, he's only played about five or six games, hasn't he? And mm-hmm. it, it's clear that he didn't want to be at Bournemouth, you know, so when they were relegated, you know, he clearly believed he was better than that and he probably is. Uh, so, you know, he's, I wouldn't say throwing his toys out the pram on down tools, but, you know, it looked like, you know, he wasn't happy to be there. Does that say something about his uh, his character? I don't know. We'll find out, you know, Sergio on the next few months, which again underlines what a clever deal it is by you know not tying him to any particular long term deal at all. You know, putting that carrot in front of him and, and seeing it, seeing if he takes it. Uh, but yeah, I don't see there being any problems with the deal at all. You know, like as Sam said earlier, it's, it's a win win situation. Um, and yeah, you know, fingers crossed. It. I'd like to think it could have even more of an impact than Anna Valencia. But Valencia is somebody that we remember fondly. You know, so there were no issues at all at this time at the football club. So hopefully this can be something similar, if not even better. Obviously, footy moves on and stuff, doesn't it? And, and you, you can't think about this. But it is quite funny to think that, you know, for me growing up as a kid, I was like crying with happiness when we got Dennis Strachelazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, do we have a striker? It was just like the best day of my life at, at that point. So, you know, it's a Why? I've got to ask the question, Why? <laughs> I just, I just like the look of him. He's a big lad, we're hearing. Hey, he was brilliant. He was one of the <laughs> brilliant. He was, he was. <laughs> yeah. we, you know, see a man reduced to tears after scoring against Chelsea, just sunk to his knees in the at the yeah. Gladys end. That was one of my favourite ever uh, memories, I think. But you know, the lad scored goals in the Premier League for you know two and a half seasons. He's Adam said to me before, he's, got, he's actually got more goals at Goodison Park than Cenk Tosin, hasn't he? Yeah, Josh King's got more goals at Goodison than, well, the same amount of goals same at Goodison amount. as Cenk Tosin. Wow. So, he scored three in 2017 and he's got one last year. We, yeah. We've signed him for a, not, a bit of a not and fee and we've got him to the end of the season. So, you know, for, for where we've been in past years and, you know, playing Wayne Rooney and Davy Klassen up front in a dynamic duo and stuff like that, you know, we've, we came on... Uh, so far from that, we've got Carlos our manager, and to be honest, I, I think the Newcastle game had an effect on it. I think that if we were sat here after walloping Newcastle four 0 on the weekend, I, I, I don't think there would have been anything. I think everyone would have been saying, "Great move, to get Gordon out, and you know Josh King is going to be great, and he'll he'll fit right in." But because Newcastle again, you know, as Leeds did, as West Ham did, as 
Newcastle somehow did again at St James Park in the season. They brought up all the flaws and and showed people how long this project could potentially take under Ancelotti. I think there's there's, there's a natural amount of worry to it, isn't it? So mm. I think hopefully this can be a big week for us. Um, and, and I think if we get two wins in the next seven days, then you know it'll all be roses again. Um, hopefully. Mm. I think Breno, Sam, quite neatly takes us on to that Newcastle game, unfortunately, which we have to talk about. Uh, very disappointing 2-0 defeat, uh, thanks to a brace in the second half from uh, Callum Wilson. Uh, it, it left Carlo Ancelotti you know, a bit surprised at the final whistle, you have to say. You know, he was calling his players a bit lazy, he hinted at a lack of spirit. And uh, you know, he was hinting today at his press conference at a bit of complacency about the side in that game. And you know, I think... Manager was absolutely spot on with his summary there, wasn't he? Yeah, 100%. If I can just backtrack 30 seconds, by the way, Sam says we're going to win the next two games, the next seven days. Everyone's laughing. He does know we're playing Leeds away in Man United away, does he? <laughs> <laughs> you know me, Crow. Ever the optimist? <laughs> I, love, I love the optimism of you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I mean, I, I was pleased to see Carlo call the players out in the manner in which he did. Because to me, yes, it just absolutely smacked of complacency. And to hear a manager use phrases like lazy in his post-match analysis, uh, it's good. You know, so he's, he's not trying to protect them. You know, he's done that privately in the past and he's basically decided, well, hang on. You know, so this is all down to you. Um, you picked a strong team uh, against the side that was absolutely, you know, sort of toiling and going through the motions and they just weren't at it. So, you know, I was pleased to hear that's about the only thing I was pleased about in that performance because it was comfortably the worst display I've seen for a long, long time. I was rocking my brains trying to think of, you know, when was the last time I'd seen such a dispirited and passionless performance? And I can't really remember, but it was, it was it, maybe Wolves last season, uh, but it was, it was uh, absolutely dreadful. Um, it's, it's smacked again as well. This lack of leadership you know, in the squad. And I know we've talked about it so many times previously. Uh, and, you know, Seamus had the armband <laughs> at the weekend. But the other players who've worn the armband this season, the likes of Gilfie Sigurdsson, Luca Dean, uh, Tom Davis, you know, so are they the kind of players that you think during a match will be, you know, so running around, barking orders, or by the force of their example, you know, so getting a reaction from the players? Are they the type of players who you think are going to be absolutely asset in training, you know, so 100% at the time, absolutely snarling into every single training session? Because they're the kind of players that we need, you know, so we need those kind of leaders that are going to actually, um, I don't know, you know, so rub off on other players around them. And there was just, there weren't enough of them on the pitch on Saturday. Um, it was just so flat. I mean, Richarlison has been a player like that in the past, but he's got problems at the moment. He seems to be going through the motions and was quite rightly, you know, so singled out by the manager after the game. I know he was asked about it, his performance, but he didn't protect him at all. He basically said he needs more from him. And so, yeah, it underlines the, the, the huge amount of work that Carlo still has to do. Uh, but it was a very, very dispiriting afternoon. You know, so I can't really remember one as bad as that for a long, long time. And I suppose the good thing is, being as public as he has been in his criticism of the players who were involved in it, we should get a reaction on Wednesday. And you know, and this season we seem to have been better equipped to take on teams who are going to come at us, and then we can defend deep, and we can, you know, sort of hit them on the break and on the counter. They're our best results this season. Our worst results have been against teams that come and you know sit with two flat banks of four and invite us to break them down and work hard, like Newcastle have done, like Leeds at Goodison Park have done, like West Ham have done, like Southampton have done. Um, you know, so maybe maybe Sam's right, maybe he is right. Being optimistic that these next <laughs> two fixtures are the kinds of games that were probably better suited 
um, you know, so to to get results from. Bottom line is that we need a reaction because that that wasn't good enough. The manager has made it clear it wasn't good enough. And, you know, we will see now whether the players he's got at his disposal are the kind of players that can produce a reaction and can show the kind of character he wants in his squad. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think Brando's right about Carlo's comments there, isn't he? But it's very rare to see Carlo Ancelotti come out and criticise his players in that manner straight after a defeat. Usually, you know, he's, you know, very calm and collected in his response. I think this was one of the first times that I can remember with him as being Everton manager where he's, you know, quite strongly criticised his players, you know, calling them lazy, saying there was a lack of spirit. Do you think that's the biggest message that they could have had after that game, that it just wasn't good enough from them? I think the the two, the comparison Preno made, isn't it, that the, it was similar after that Wolves game at the end of last season, away from home at Molyneux, which I, I thought was possibly one of the worst Everton games I've ever watched in my life, and then they just saved up, saved up almost the exact same performance. But I think even worse against Newcastle, just because I think that um, the the Wolves side we played at the end of last season were full of confidence. We weren't. We were away from home, and it, it was just a bad game. That you know, they they are awful. They are terrible. And and to, to turn in that performance, we basically played the same way against them twice, didn't we? And you know what? What worries me sometimes is just that how easily we can just go for them. You know, it was a few weeks ago we were away at Leicester before Christmas, just looking great. You know, looked like we could have played all day, and and, and Jamie Vardy wouldn't have scored. And then you know, a home game against Newcastle. I don't know whether it's an arrogance. I don't know whether we have just got the most like inconsistent team ever. Well, how can we go from you know playing great and looking great one week to, and? and you know, I get that you can play not as well some weeks, but, you know, what teams like Liverpool and Manchester City, to an extent Manchester United have had this season, is that ability to not play well, but have that character to grind out a result and to, you know, do the dirty work. And I just think, for some reason, sometimes we just can't do it. And it was just a kick in the stomach, to be honest. I don't think I've felt like that after an Everton game, since maybe when we got knocked out the, the cup by Liverpool reserves at the very start of... The Ancelotti thing, where it, it just does your head in. Do you know what I mean? Like watching it, it's it, it was just embarrassing, wasn't it? So obviously it's gone, and, and it is what it is now, I suppose. But as Preno was saying, Leeds away, Manchester United away, and not two games that we're expecting to get six points from, are we? You know, it's 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 going to be a tough ask whether that those two games will suit us more, um, because you know we'll like to play maybe our favoured way. You know, on the counter attack, sit deep. Hopefully, get a, a corner or a free kick that we could capitalize on, like we've done so often this season. But it, it's made it dangerous for ourselves a little bit to, to keep up, you know, with this path because this is around the time of the season when chunks start breaking off into the league, you know, and it'll be more of a pronounced top six or seven, maybe even eight this season. And we don't want to be again like we were last season, just aimlessly floating about in 11th or 12th, which because the league's so tight, that can happen if you lose two or three games. Um, on the spin, so our reaction to season, to be fair, have been really good. Um, but yeah, Car- Carlo was right um, to to point the finger at the team because that that was not good enough. Whether there's forty thousand people inside Goodison or or no one, and it's just us all watching at home, you know, to, to put on the Everton shirt and for you know twelve, thirteen lads who ever came on, putting that kind of performance is never going to be good enough. So I don't know. I think. If we beat Leeds, all is forgiven. But 
if not, then it, it, it's tough to see where you know where we go from there in terms of qualifying for Europe. It's like a really, really big effort. Then I think. Mm. I think the absence of fans is actually asking different questions of the players this season. I mean, Carlo mentioned in his press comments before about you know why there being so many strange results this season, and. If that had been, you know, a match against Newcastle in front of forty thousand supporters, I think we probably would have seen a slightly different performance because, you know, the the supporters can demand things from players and they won't accept things, and it's quite, you know, they make it perfectly clear to them. When there's nobody inside that stadium, it requires something within the player themselves. You know, they've got to, you know, drive themselves on, and they've got to prove that they're not complacent and. Too many of them didn't do that at the weekend. And, you know, if you look at the, I think it was the, the television put up those running stats and Abdullah Dekore, uh was Everson's player that covered the most amount of ground, uh, just over nine kilometres, I think it was. Yes, he was the only player in the top five players in that match that figured in that table. And that's just not right. You know, that, that requires something from a player himself to say that, look, I'm going to make that run that might not be necessary to press that fullback down, but it might lead to something. And that wasn't happening enough. So, you know, maybe the, the absence of fans has, you know, added a little bit more of a dy- dynamic to the situation. And also told, you know, Carl a little bit more about the players themselves, you know, the kind of characters that they have. Uh, so it, it, it's been strange, but, you know, he's learning about the players all the time with every dreadful performance like that that he witnesses. He'll have learned something from it. We've kind of found a way, though, haven't we, to play, you know, Leicester away, uh, Wolves away, I'd probably put in there, uh, Man United, sorry, not Man United, Chelsea at home and Arsenal at home are the four results that stand out for me, you know, all games that we won, but all quite similar in that we were quite comfortable, we sat quite deep, and we took the couple of chances we had, you know, we didn't by any means have 10, 15 shots on target to get our goals, you know, we we nicked them, we, we kind of picked them off, probably the only goal out of those games that stands out to me is, in terms of a team goal, was the Awobi one against Newcastle uh, against Wolves away, really nice team goal. The rest, you know, set pieces, bit of individual brilliance from Richarlison against Leicester, the pen against Chelsea. So now we've, you know, obviously we're, we're struggling in games where teams are then are saying, and we had another Roberto Martinez quite a lot, didn't we? When teams kind of got onto that and said, "Sound well, we're just going to sit in and basically yeah. use your own game against you." What do you do? Newcastle away, Newcastle at home, Leeds at home, West Ham at home. We've we've seen maybe the Leeds game was a little bit more open, but you know we've lost all of them games. So I think as you said, Preno probably Ancelotti and and David Ancelotti who seems quite good tactically and, and Dunk as well. We need to get the heads together and you know do we have to look at a different style of play to try and to try and win these matches? Because at the end of the day, what happens if we miss out on the Champions League or Europa League by five or six points at the end of the season? And, going to be a real kick in the kick in the teeth if it's two games against Newcastle or you know Leeds could do the double over us now you know West Ham have got a chance I think to do a double over us you know teams who, who are not even on our level I don't think so finding a way to play on the front foot and, and be able to score goals when the onus is on us to have the ball and have possession and, and just to let the, the shackles loose a little bit on players like Richarlison because that's what we're going to need to do now to take that next step. Mm. It's, getting the balance, it's getting the balance right, I think, because I was just looking at the results from this season. And we had that wonderful start when we were playing really open football. Uh, but that was turned on its head by, I think we lost four in five games, Southampton, Newcastle, Man United, Leeds, and the, interrupted only by that win at Fulham. And I yeah. think Duncan referred to it in his uh, pre-match interview at the weekend. Um, and he spoke really well too. By the way, I was uh, I was quite pleased to see that that you know, so rather than go straight to the manager, you know, so they put him out there, and he spoke very well and said that there was 
you know, a conscious decision that they were too open and, you know, they were allowing themselves to be, you know, sort of caught at the back. So they changed things around a little bit, you know, sort of started defending deeper. And then we got that Chelsea, Leicester, Arsenal, you know, sort of back-to-back wins, winning Sheffield United. It's almost like that's being found out now as well. And they need to find, like, a hybrid of both of those styles that is going to, you know, sort of suddenly, you know, return to those, like, positive results again. And it's, it's just the nature of football management. You know, it doesn't take long for teams to work out how a particular team is playing and find out a way to undermine them. Sheffield United are the best case in point of that. They went through an entire season last season playing the way they did and a spectacular success this season. Looks like they're going down. You know, so teams get found out very, very quickly. And unless you've got absolute quality in your squad that is prepared to work to insane levels like Manchester City have and like Liverpool have, um, everyone looks at the quality they've got, but nobody works harder than those two teams in the Premier League. They put, you know, immense amounts of work in. And so, you know, we haven't got that level of quality, but we need to match that level of work rate. Uh, so we need to try and find a blend that can, you know, sort of take both of those styles, uh, to, uh, apply that level of work rate to it. And I fingers crossed that'll be enough to take us to, you know, what, what still could be a very successful season. We're only halfway through, you know, so there's still, you know, so plenty of football still to be played. We need to sort it out sooner rather than later. Mm. Speaking about work rate and intensity, Everton are going to need to be right on it against Leeds, aren't they? Because I think that they're the two hallmarks of the way Marcelo Bielsa sets yeah. up his side, isn't it? One of the one of the reasons I have for optimism, though, I'm just going to quickly go off topic just slightly. Oh, here we go. Oh. For, for, for Preno, is that one of my first memories of of being that kind of like and footy was we were all sat on my nans. Back in the day when you'd listen to the games on like Radio City and or Mesa. I don't know if you were there, Preno, but when we'd had that mad record and not winning, uh, Ellen's Road and Rooney scored. Of course I was there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that was one of my best early moments as an Evertonian. I, I think we'd only just yeah. got our season tickets or whatever, but I remember, you know, I could tell by like the way my dad was reacting that he couldn't believe we'd won. And because I was seven or eight, Rooney felt like he was like our age, basically, yeah. didn't he? Because he was yeah. only 16, 17. Um, so that was then, and that must be one of the last times we played at Elms Road before they got relegated. I mean, Nan has just moved in to a new house. So some eerie coincidences going on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to follow the rationale and the logic in there. And I'm just you to I'm saying, you have to go to me Nans and listen to the uh, the lead game on, on Radio Merseyside on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll have some of that socially distanced obviously yeah, but no, yeah. I mean, we, we had like a really strange uh, record at Ellen's Road where 1950 or 51 I think it was when Tommy Eglinton scored twice was the last time we'd won there in the league before that Wayne Rooney goal and that was when you know we were so excited about Rooney it was the week after the Arsenal goal uh, and for me that goal at Leeds is arguably even better than what he scored against Arsenal it was just absolutely something else and it was there was a real mood of optimism about the place um, because you know we have uncovered this incredible young talent. Alan um, George is also, of course, the venue where we won the 1995 FA Cup semi-final, which everyone remembers very, very fondly. Uh, but they were few and far between. Yeah. Do we remember um, it? I was in the womb. Yeah. yeah. 
The only other time we'd won there was in 85 in the FA Cup when uh, Sharpie and Sheedy scored. So, no, it was one of those great grounds where we had a dreadful record. And then, as you're right in saying, that obviously Leeds got relegated, so we haven't gone back there for a long time, apart from the one occasion when uh, David Moyes took a team there in the league. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Junior was in yeah. midfield. And uh, we ended up you know, sort of getting beat, or 2-1, I think it was. So, yeah, it, it's not a ground where we have particularly fond memories, but that's largely because they create such a great atmosphere there. They won't be doing that this time. They're just going to, you know, sort of like-minded groups of players up against each other. So it's up to the players, you know, so they can't claim that they're going to be intimidated by the atmosphere or anything else that's going on. It's up to the players to prove that they are better than the players that Leeds have got. And we'll, Leeds, we'll see. Leeds are also like, they're like a, they're like a rubbish, this is going to come back to home, isn't it? But oh, they're, they're like a rubbish version of us in, in the sense that, well, no, but they've had results, haven't they? There's, there's yeah. been games that they've been expected to win at Ellen's Road or whatever, and they've lost. And, you know, people have kind of reveled in the, you know, because a lot of people do have a lot of praise and a lot of time for Bielsa. And he is obviously an amazing student of the game, isn't he? But then also, you know, the 1 0 down to Leicester at the weekend, wasn't it? We were watching it, and you're like, he's a crap. And then next minute, they turn it round and they win 3 1. And, you know, they do have some really, really talented players, as we see in a Goodison, Rodrigue, um, guy who scored, Rafinha. Rafinha. Uh, looks a decent player, and, and Patrick Bamford has kind of came out of nowhere. So, you know, you, you'd like it's 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 weird because the Newcastle result, as I've said a few times today, it's really important that we do win. And um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking, kind of thinking of you know to, to try and haul our season. All right, maybe I'm being a bit too doom and gloom saying the season's over if we don't win these next two games. But you know, you, you want to get back on the right track immediately, don't you? And, and they're a funny team. You know, it mm. almost feels a bit like ourselves. They can add a turn up. And be boss, or they can they can have an off day. So, hoping that it's very much one of our good days and one of their bad days. They are spectacularly inconsistent. I mean, yeah. you know, this is the side that went to West Brom and won five nil, and then got battered by Crawley three nil the following yeah. week. Uh, yeah. You know, so they got beat at home one nil by Brighton, and then back to back wins against Leeds and Leicester. So yeah, you don't know. I mean, they're very up and down. So yeah, the fact that they've had two up results, fingers crossed, they do a, a down results, especially yeah. in light of the fact that we need a reaction. So, who knows? I mean, they are, they're weird. Maybe not. Yeah, weirder than us. That's saying something. They are a weirder team than us at the moment. <laughs> well, Preno, Sam was talking about the importance of Everton's defensive solidity uh, before when we were talking about how Everton found that really nice run of form in December. And two players that I think were quite conspicuous in their absence at the weekend were Mason Holgate and Ben Godfrey, both on yeah. the bench. And uh, I think Everton really missed them. At the weekend, to be honest, would you throw them straight back into the team this time round and just, you know, shore things up at the back? Uh, yes, I probably would. Um, I mean, when we saw the team sheet on Saturday, I think everybody was heartened, pleased with a wow, that's an attacking lineup. But they were playing a rubbish team. We were on a dreadful run of form with, you know, so spirits absolutely low. So you're right to have a go at them. Um, this isn't. This is a, a Leeds team who are absolutely upbeat and flying at the moment, and have proved that they can score goals and get at teams if you allow them to. So you know, Godfrey has been an absolute revelation this season, uh, and Mason Holgate. Yeah, it makes absolutely perfect sense to bring both of them back in. I noticed that you didn't mention uh, Michael Keane or Yerry Mina because it's just a given now that those two are yeah. the absolute, you know, sort of set in stone partnership because Michael Keane's been arguably the player of the season this season. And Yerry Mina has just looked better and better and better incrementally over the last like you know month or six weeks or so now. Uh, and they're beginning to look like a proper partnership now. So you know they are untouchable. You know, so they go forward and it's who you know so supports them. That probably means then that Luca Dean, because he has to play, 
but needs to play further forward and maybe like that left midfield role that he's played in a, you know recent games. And I wouldn't be against that. You know, so I know he didn't have one of his better games at the weekend, but what's the old thing? You know, so form is temporary, class is permanent. He is classy. You know, so uh, yeah, he's got to play in there. Uh, so yeah, to answer the question, I would. Uh, I think Ben Godfrey has had his little rest, which he probably didn't need because <laughs> he is a, like an absolute you know RoboCop up and down that flank. <laughs> uh, so yeah, bring him straight back in again, and yeah, Mason Hargrave would also. Preno's talking about the four centre backs playing and Luca Dean playing. He says put Luca Dean left mid. You know what I'm going to say to you now? Five at the back. <laughs> <laughs> Does that come into the thinking at all? <laughs> I, I honestly at this stage I don't know it's, it's, I thought that maybe Ben Godfrey right back aside I think that was the, the, the back four I would have chosen against Newcastle and, and look how that turned out so it's tough at the moment to choose isn't it you know who goes what and, and does what where um, I don't know I, I, I've been so badly scarred by like a Wobie playing left wing back and stuff this season and, and, and I was trying to fit Square pegs into round holes. I think you know, play your best players right. in the best positions. Fabian Delfsbach. <laughs> Fabian Delfsbach. Put him left wing back yeah. again. Um, so obviously, Delft probably does go straight back into the squad, doesn't he? We did only have eight subs on the bench um, the other week, so I don't know. I, I'd play Dean. I'd put Godfrey right back. I'd, I'd keep keep the back two the same. Olsen obviously in for the injured Pickford. Holgate on the bench. Do a four. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, Probably more of a case at the moment for and it's 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 tough because it's no fault of his own. It's probably more case to to just put Holgate, you know, in that whole midfield role and just say, Don't move, you just stay there. And that's how we got found out against Leeds, wasn't it? They, they took Allen out of position and, and Rafinha scored from the edge of the box. So whether we, we need someone in that sort of position, um that that, that could be the way he goes because he obviously went for a more attacking midfield against Newcastle, didn't he? So um I think it will be a more defensive shape. I'm not feeling five against them. I just feel like they they know their they know their way to, to play round. And I think because they've used it so successfully themselves. So it's a difficult one. Now I've got no doubt that Marcelo Bielsa is probably typing out dossier number seven million <laughs> on us as we speak and, and he'll have a good idea of, of how to tactically set up his lads. So you know it's it's gonna be an interesting game to, to, to watch. And I think the bad thing about Carlo is you just don't know his lineups, do you? You you could Look at the team tomorrow, and we've got like Lucina Traore and Dennis Trafalesi up front, and probably wouldn't surprise me. He he knows how to throw a curveball in, and you know after what he said about the players after that Newcastle game, who knows? You know we could see Holgate back in, we could see Godfrey back in, you could see Delftar. You just don't know. Mm. So I think it'll answer a lot of questions for us tomorrow. Mm. Tomorrow, yeah, yeah, tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> who knows? What day is lockdown? Please, have yeah. And uh, before we finish off and we uh, talk about predictions for this Leeds game, Preno, I just wanted to get your thoughts on an ex-manager who's <laughs> been uh, in the news today. Uh, he's had a bit of a chat with Alan Shearer, Ronald Koeman. Couldn't help but uh, couldn't help but stick the booth in a little bit, could he? Yeah, I mean, what, what was the phrase he came out with? Uh, I think sometimes the Everton fans are still living in the past. I can only agree. I think uh, he's absolutely mm. right. We are living in the past, a past that was created by him by his reckless, directionless spending spree, of which our current manager is still enjoying the consequences of three and a half years later. It just underlined everything we know about Ronald Koeman. You know, there was a degree of arrogance about him. Um, and he never, ever once felt like, you know, he connected with the fan base at all. Ironically, he has done with these comments now. 
uh, you know, you know <laughs> we've, got, we've got to agree with him. Yeah, we're living in a past, you know, so he's set up. No, it's, it doesn't surprise me at all. It was a good interview, to be fair. I mean, Alan yeah. Shearer actually did the interview. And that comment alone set alarm bells ringing in his head because uh, he actually put on a side where he says that people write the same things about my club, Newcastle, uh, and it's never well received. So he knew how it would be received by Everton supporters. And um, it wasn't particularly well received. I mean, I wasn't angered by it because we've put that behind us now. You know, he's now got his own problems at Barcelona, uh, you know, so let him get on with it there. He was a manager that we were quite happy with to have at the time because uh, of what he'd done at Southampton. But, you know, after a, a relatively OK first season, it wasn't a great first season, as you suggested, because uh, what, what did he say? We beat Manchester City 4-0, which we did, and mm. all the other big clubs. No, we didn't. We beat Arsenal 2-1. We didn't yeah. beat Liverpool. We lost twice to Liverpool. We drew twice against Man United. Uh, we took one point off Tottenham. Uh, so, no, I think he's, he's rewriting history there a little bit. But just that thing about living in the past really gets to me that. He had a little pop at the fans, you know, sort of uh, hanging on to past glories. Well, yeah, of course we are. Could you want to see them again? That's what football fans do. And, you know, so Everton is a football club that has won many, many things in the past. Unfortunately, we've got a manager now that appears to be, rather than intimidated by that record in the past, he's inspired by us. He said things like, that. well, yeah, Everton should be qualifying for the Champions League. They should be winning trophies. And it's very easy to say that, I know. But equally, it's what football fans want to hear uh, because... But, you know, this is a football club that has won nine league titles, five FA Cups, a European trophy. You know, it's not you know a team that has not won anything in the past. So, yeah, it, it jarred a little bit. It didn't surprise me. Irritated. Yeah, I suppose you could say I was irritated by it. But I wasn't surprised in the slightest because, you know, Ronald Koeman always gave the impression that he was a man that was in football entirely for himself, you know, so for what he could get from the game rather than for what he could, the joy he could bring, you know, so to other people which is what football managers are supposed to do, aren't they? You know, so make the people happy. Well, you know, so you didn't do that very often during his Everson tenure. So, yeah, a little bit irritating, but not really surprised, to be perfectly honest. What we need to do, we need to set up one of these, like, YouTube boxing fights <laughs> that have been going on. Preno v. Koeman. We'll be I know my money would be on. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, might, he might have a dig on him, but he's got no mobility. <laughs> You'd need one of us to fly in like Mo on The Simpsons when he saves Homer. It's <laughs> like picking Preno up and flying him off the stadium. <laughs> right, let's uh, let's discuss some predictions. We'll go to you first, Sam. Everton, well, Leeds v Everton, uh, Wednesday night at Ellen Road. What's your what's your scoreline going to be? It's all coming together, isn't it? New house for me, Nan. Wayne Rooney's now the Derby County manager. Just can't get all these coincidences out of my head. <laughs> all these, these, Wait, these Derby coming to it, by the way. Who knows? It just fits in somewhere. <laughs> uh, two, two, one, two, one. The Everton. Two, one. Up the toffees. Two, one. Preno, are you as confident as young Samuel over here? No, despite Sam's nan moving into a new house, I can't. Really <laughs> that, uh, the obvious conversations of that. I can't use that as leverage to predict an Everton victory. Um, I think it's going to be a more, the, the game that we lost one nil at home was surprisingly open, you know. So it, it could have had a lot more goals in it than it actually ended up with. And I'd like to hope that we can see something similar. I was going to go one-one and go for a one-one draw, but no, I'm going to be a little bit more, you know, progressive than that and go for a two-two draw. I think we'll be a little bit more open than we have been in the last few games of necessity. Score a couple, but equally that will leave the door ajar for them, and they have scored goals and they are capable of scoring goals. 
two two I think, which I don't know if that's a good result or a bad result to be honest. I'll let you know on the night, you know, so how I feel if it comes to that. We don't even have to watch the game though, Preno. We can just get results rain man's prediction now and he just tells us what's going on. Well, I'm waiting, I'm waiting eagerly to hear what he has to say. Well, I think I'm going with my heart a little bit more than my head in this one. In my in my heart, I'm thinking to myself, Leeds drew us out of our shell a little bit. I don't think we were meant to be as open as we were in that home game against Leeds. So I'd like to think we'd be a bit more defensively rigid for this game. I'm hoping that we might be able to put in a similar sort of performance as we did against Leicester, as Sam was saying earlier, kind of soak up any pressure that Leeds are going to be able to throw at us and hit them on the counter with, you know, a bit of pace and effectiveness, you know, try and try and create a few chances for DCL to actually put away because I just can't remember the last time he's actually had a bunch of chances given to him. So I'm going to go quite confident and I'm going to go for a 2-0 win. I think we might keep a clean sheet. Well, I'm, money on it, then. I'm gonna go and <laughs> run my life savings and get it in the, uh, in the pack. Well, I can, I can do with I could do with another six bottles of Kozel, to be honest, Prano, because yeah, I, I polished them off quite quite handily at the weekend. That, that is only an offer which comes when you make a really optimistic result that makes okay. me think, wow, I didn't see that coming. I mean, initially it was a derby match win, wasn't it? You had no, about a grabs on that one. Next uh, one so, it's gonna be three, a five-nil win in the derby or something <laughs> later this month. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> Can't make it a regular, you know, every now and then, maybe. But uh, <laughs> as a result of betting, I mean, uh, after what Newcastle did to us at the weekend, I've had money on them to win the booking points tonight against uh, Crystal Palace 11 to 8, they are, and they were just a team of dogs, they just kicked us off the park, I thought. So, you know, if they're going to take that level of um, ill discipline into a game against Palace, who only get the average of like one book in a game. My money's on that one tonight. The one that got me was that John Joe Shelby one, uh, where he wrestled, I think it was Hammers, he just like wrestled yeah. him to the floor and like yeah. slammed him down on his back and the referee just looked at that and went, Stuart's out well, isn't it? He's not one of the best. <laughs> Right. Thank you very much, lads, for joining me. Great chat as ever. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And don't forget you can join in the conversation on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just search for us and search for the Royal Blue Podcast on both of those platforms there. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.